is married, and, and what does he say? He's meant to be talking about mothers, but all he can say is, my wife's beautiful. Isn't that nice? Isn't that, isn't that inspiring? Blokes, this is a man we need to talk to. John said something nice about his wife as well. In fact, quite a few people did. John, you said as well. Good stuff. Now, obviously, you take after Father Abraham. Abraham is known as a man of faithfulness, the friend of God. He was not perfect. We saw that last week. God said, leave everyone behind. He took a lot along with him anyway. But, but God had chosen imperfect Abraham and said, I want to make you a, a great. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. He gave all these promises to Abraham. And Abraham trusted God and set out. And he started well. And he arrived in the land of Canaan. And God said to him, this is the place, Abraham. This is the land I'm giving you. This is the place where, where, where you and I will set up. This is the place where you will become a great nation. And he built altars and he worshipped God. And then a famine. I wonder if Abraham was disillusioned. Here is God who's called him away from everything that is good in his life. He stepped out and all of a sudden God has said, Abraham, my friend, here are the promises I make to you. I am giving you a land of famine. Woo! Party! Could God be trusted to look after him? Did Abraham even want a land like this? It's not necessarily wrong, the decision that he makes to go to Egypt. Uh, quite often in the Bible, Egypt is, is, well, sometimes it's a bad place to go, sometimes it's a great place. Joseph takes, um, takes Jesus there to escape from Herod. <coughs> but this time, going to Egypt doesn't seem to be an act of trust. God is not even mentioned in these verses. Because Abraham didn't need God. He, he knew the problem. God had messed up, taken him to a land of famine. He knew he needed to go to a land of plenty. What will we not do when we are afraid? And he was afraid. And Abraham, Abraham would do anything to ensure his own survival. He's self-seeking, He's a self-serving man who trusts most completely in his own wit. He's willing to sacrifice anyone as long as he thrives and survives. He's willing to sacrifice everything, including God's promises, as long as his life seems good. He is so unlike us, isn't he? Wow. Wow. I've got dead silence here. Some people are going, I don't think so, but I don't know. Some people are going, yes. But show of hands. Abraham is unlike us. Abraham is like us. Uh, you know, it's tempting, though, for us to think up excuses for Abraham. Because he does some terrible things, doesn't he? In what we've read. And, and you can read some commentaries and, and some people throughout church history that have thought of ways that he's, you know, he's just making excuses and, and, and he's got this whole thing about tell them you're my sister and just by the way, it, it's, it's weird, but she is his half-sister. That's messed up. 
Um, but there's some people go, oh, yes, in some cultures you would have higher status if you also adopted your wife as your sister. And it's, it's like, like, Abraham was not out to make his wife have a higher status. Abraham was a scumbag. He was a scumbag. But, but we want to think up excuses for him because he's the father of faith. And we want to think up excuses for him because we think up excuses for ourselves, don't we? You know what? No, 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 no. I I will do whatever it takes to see myself happy, to see myself thrive, to see myself survive. You know, God wants that for me. And, And so I will think up whatever excuse I want. Because the truth is, Abraham didn't struggle with sin. A real Christian never struggles with sin, but lives in victory. Hallelujah! truth in that, but it's not the whole truth, is it? Heading south to save his skin, Abraham (coughs) faces a problem, a a perceived problem of Egyptians. And this is where I I find a link to Graham and John and John and, and the other men that spoke there, because Abraham is a little bit of a flirt, isn't he? Sarah's 65, she's obviously a very good looking 65, for that culture, whatever that meant. But he goes to her, and you can see they're traveling down, and just, he just sits. She's on the donkey, maybe. He turns to him and goes, Sarai, you are so beautiful. And can, can you picture it? It's not just one long, it's, Sarai, you're so beautiful. She's like, ooh, ooh, it's so nice that you say things like that. And I can imagine they go on for a little bit longer. And then he turns to her and goes, Sarai, you really are beautiful. We're going to Egypt. No man can control himself around you. They're going to kill me so that they can have you. And he gets his wife to twist facts so that he will benefit and he will survive. He has such a callous disregard for his wife, doesn't he? Just show of hands, if if you were a wife here and your husband said, you are so beautiful, who would feel really happy? (laughs) So, no one? You wouldn't be happy if your husband said you were beautiful? You're very happy. That's wonderful. Now, hands up if you'd be happy if a loved one said to you, you're so beautiful. Um... If you're a woman. Now, show of hands again, if he then turned and said, and, and really, because you're so beautiful, I have a plan to pimp you out so that I survive. Who would continue to be smiling and happy? You want your husband to survive. That's good. That's wonderful. And Sarai wanted her husband to survive. But her husband was a loser. I agree, it was good that he needed to survive because that was God's promise and, and Sarai's commended for all of this stuff, but what a loser. That guy needed some good men around him to give him a slap on the face and go, man, you're nuts. And you know what, the, the thing that's even worse, because this doesn't happen just once. This happens a couple of times, three times in Genesis. 
that Abraham and Sarai had played this trick. And in chapter 20, the second time it happens, we actually find out that this is not a sudden, oh, oh, I'm afraid, spur of the moment thing. We learn that when they set out, when God called them, Abraham already said, wow, you're beautiful. Uh, Let's just say wherever we go that you're my sister so that I'll be okay. Wow. I wonder, like everything, I think Abraham had mixed feelings towards his wife. He thought her very beautiful. But I wonder if he also didn't despise her a little bit. See, one of the promises God had given him is that he would be a great nation. Sarai couldn't have kids. I don't know. What I do know is that Abraham is a very broken, very sinful, very self-centered person. And that he reminds me so much of myself and of those of you to whom this applies. You decide if that applies to you. As far as the hero is concerned, everything works out well at first. And the hero, by the way, is Abraham. Nobody else matters. Uh, But you know, just to show you what sort of a... I don't get Abraham. He's afraid of his wife being taken into the palace of Pharaoh. He's got this whole white lie. So what do you do? You need to get to a place where there's food. Surely you go into as far as you need to go where there's food and then you stop. Yes? What does he do? No, he goes in far enough into the capital city where the palace officials are. Oh, I'm so frightened that they might want to take you. So I'm just going to go right into the capital city and you're going to set up camp outside the palace. What is wrong with Abraham? How stupid can you get? Because obviously when they're there, the palace officials do see Sarah. They do go, wow, she's, she's a really attractive woman. They do take her to Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh puts her into his harem, pays a very handsome dowry to Abraham, because you know what, that, that's what you do. You, you pay a dowry to the family. And, and just remember, Abraham got her to tell this whole lie, because you know what, they're going to kill me for you. This is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the superpower of the ancient world. He doesn't have to pay anyone anything if he doesn't want to. The fact that he pays a dowry to Abraham makes me kind of go, I'm not sure he would have killed Abraham. Who knows? What we do know is that there's terrible damage done by what Abraham has done. God had promised that Abraham would be a great nation. And the very first thing he does almost is leave the land of promise and sell off his wife. Talk about damage to a relationship. Sarai doesn't get to talk even once in this whole story. I think it's true to say that nobody gets lost all at once. Step by step, choice by choice, you arrive in Egypt and you find... Not only have you abandoned a little thing of God, you've ended up abandoning just about everything. You've given up on God. That old hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And by his own 
abandoning of God, his own sin, his own self-centeredness, Abraham led others into sin and hurt. Pharaoh's household, afflicted by God with plagues. Sarai, how, how does she feel? We're not even told how she felt. She was exploited, at the very least on an emotional level. Pharaoh was conned into doing the wrong thing. And isn't it interesting, though, that when God steps into the story, it's not to give Abraham a slap across the face, going, Abraham, you idiot. God steps in and afflicts Pharaoh's house with plagues. Which kind of does make sense, because Pharaoh was technically doing the wrong thing. And, and God wasn't going to let Pharaoh get away with it, but more importantly, God wasn't going to just let Abram get away with it. God afflicted Pharaoh so that Abram would be forced to confront and deal with God. And it's quite ironic that in last week we saw one of the, the highlights of God's promises to Abraham is that, that those who bless you I will bless, those who curse you I will curse, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And the very first thing that we see with Abraham interacting with the nations of the world is that they are cursed. Because Abraham has given up on God. In the ancient world, uh, uh, Disease was often thought to be not just, um, you know, sickness and bugs and all that sort of thing. In fact, they probably wouldn't have thought so much of bugs as gods. And if you went to the doctor, he'd have some herbs and things like that, but he'd also maybe do some chanting over you, some incantation, maybe a little bit of exorcism. Um, and, and these doctors were, they were kind of a weird mix. And so when the household of Pharaoh suddenly had all these illnesses suddenly come into it, it makes sense that they'd get all the doctors in and there'd be an investigation and what's changed, what's different, what's new in the household. Oh, you've got a new person here. How long has she been here? Oh, about the same time as the plagues. Hmm. Correlation. Something might be up here. We're not told how Pharaoh find out, found out exactly uh, about the trick that had been played on him. I mean, was Sarai confronted? Did she eventually crack and go, you're right, you're right, I'm married to him. Anyway, Abram's lie is found out and he is confronted by a very angry Pharaoh and he is kicked out of Egypt. <coughs> it's so easy for us to find ourselves off the right track, having trusted to our own strength and our own wit, not trusting that God loves us and has what's best in store for us. You know, the good news in the story is that in a story where it seems like God is not at all involved, Abraham chooses, Pharaoh kicks him out. You we find that God is actually involved. God does step in. God sends these plagues to, to change things around. And God does it because God has made a promise. And because God intends to keep his word. God could have very easily gone, ah, you know, this Abraham is a, he's a loser. 
Well, start with someone else. God, God could have done that, but he didn't because God had promised Abraham, I will make your name great and I will bless the world because of you, through you. God doesn't abandon Abraham and start over and God doesn't abandon people today when we slip from faith into fear. And from fear into wrong actions. When God promises something, he sees it through. And his grace covers our sins. 2 Timothy uh, 2.13 says, If we deny him, he will deny us. God won't be taken for a ride. Abraham found that out. But 2 Timothy 2.13 carries on and says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Because he cannot deny who he is. This is a story of the grace of God who cannot deny who he is. The God who will never ever go back on his word to Abraham or to us. This is a story written so that we can learn that from the life of Abraham and not have to uh, learn it the hard way as Abraham did. Abraham deserved to be punished. And isn't it amazing that instead he leaves Egypt with that massive dowry from Pharaoh still in his hands? It's not that it didn't cost him. It cost him his reputation, a lot of reputation. He was kicked out of Egypt and never went back to Egypt. But for the most part, God was gracious to him. He treated him so much better than he deserved. And it's interesting, the chapter sort of starts and ends with the same kind of thing, go. It starts, chapter 12, last week with God saying, go, leave your land, leave your family, leave all your stuff, and go where I will tell you to go. It starts with God's loving kindness to the undeserving. And it finishes with go, with Pharaoh standing over Abraham saying, Go, leave my land. Go to the place where I will make sure that you go. It starts with God's grace and it ends with with the same go, but this time with Pharaoh's disgrace. It starts with God's grace to the undeserving And we find that Pharaoh shows disgrace to the very deserving. And yet even the disgrace that Pharaoh heaps on Abraham, deportation, even that disgrace God uses to put Abraham back on the path of God's grace. Abraham must get out. He heads back to the land of promise. He arrives in Canaan. He, he heads to Bethlehem, the, the first place that he'd gone where he'd made an altar. And, and, and he worships God there again. I wonder if he was there saying sorry to God, saying, God, I've messed up. I've done the wrong thing. I've, I've ruined everything. God, will you have me back? God used Pharaoh to push Abraham back on the right path because he loved Abraham. And and God can still use people and circumstances to push us back on the right path today. But gosh, isn't it better to learn from Abraham? 
We, we, we're very bad learners, aren't we? But this is why Abraham's words are recorded to us, that we might know that our God is gracious and kind, and that he can be trusted, and that even when we push away from him, he doesn't ever leave us. And I find it very interesting that, that this story, the, the start of the story of the man of faith, the man from whom uh, the, the Jewish people descended and through them the Christian people descended, I find it so interesting that this story of his abandoning God, this story of unfaith, of distrust, comes so hot on the heels of his trusting God, of his stepping out into the unknown, of his abandoning all his safety. But then if you think about it, it's not an unusual occurrence that that we go from trust to distrust and ups to downs and downs to ups. Mark chapter 8, Jesus is asking who people say he is. Mark says to him, you are the Messiah. You are God's chosen one. You are the one who will rescue us. And we go, yes, spiritual high for Peter. A few verses later, Jesus is telling them about how he must go to Jerusalem and die. Peter looks at him and says, shut up, Jesus, you're being stupid. And Peter looks at him, uh, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you do not have the things of God in mind. Get behind me, Satan. Few verses, few, maybe half an hour. Spiritual high, spiritual depth. Or, or what about Elijah? Uh, overcoming the prophets of Baal in the most hilarious scene um, Fire coming down from heaven when Elijah calls. The whole day the other prophets called, nothing happened. Elijah wipes out the prophets. He's on a high. Everyone knows that God is God. It's amazing. And the very next thing that he does almost, he runs away. Oh, I'm the only one. Nobody loves me. They want to kill me. God said, oh, am I the only prophet God? And he goes from the spiritual high to the severe depression and not knowing even that God has got more than him in the world. What about Jesus? Baptized by John in the Jordan River and, and God announces to the world his love and pleasure. You are my son whom, with whom I am well pleased. And then sent out the very next thing by the Holy Spirit to be tested by the devil in the wilderness. From that high of I love you, you're my son, to going to the desert to be tested and tempted. Of course, unlike Abraham and Peter and Elijah, Jesus isn't caught off balance. He's, he's tempted while he's in the desert there to take a shortcut. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He was enthroned on the cross. He was set above every ruler and authority. Uh, at the name of Jesus, every, every, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And his temptation, right at the start, the devil says, just bow to me and I will give it all to you. He's tempted to, to take the easy way out. Like Abraham was tempted to go to Egypt and take the easy way out because, you know what, who knows if God will come through. And instead of taking the easy way out, Jesus chose to follow God's way. <clears throat> you know, except for Jesus, we are all like Abraham, faltering between fear and faith. Quite. 
faith and fear. Not fully trusting that God can be taken at his word, that he cares for us. But we have these histories of God written so that we can learn that God is trustworthy and that he keeps his promises no matter what. Even if the what comes down to God dying so that his promise that we can be with him can be kept. God keeps his promises no matter what. There's always a way back. There's always the way of recognizing that God's way is better than, than my way, than, than our way. It's the way of repentance, of turning back from our sin, heading back to God. Sometimes, like in the story, God forces us a little bit. Abraham didn't have a choice about where he was going. Pharaoh said, you're going and you're going now. And I'm sending soldiers to make sure. But repentance is turning away from sin. And and I believe Abraham did repent because he went and he worshipped God. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. 1 John 1 9. Now, having looked at the story, he's gone from not from trusting God to not trusting God, and then he's gone, wow, that, that didn't work out so well. Uh, it's obvious now that Abraham will never again not trust God, isn't that? Hallelujah. Because I know that's the case with me. You know, there was one time where I didn't trust God, and, and now it's just perfect. And, you know, it's, it's why there's this holy glow around me. Thanks so much for laughing, Helena. <laughs> Graham says, till the next time. And that's, that's the thing. This, this is not the last mistake that Abraham makes. You know what? He's a slow learner. This is not the... Ex- he goes and makes the exact same mistake. Well, not exactly the same, but similar enough. He goes, wow, last time I was in dire situations and afraid for my life, it worked out so well to pretend that my wife was my sister. So you know what I'm going to do this time? Hmm, I could trust God, or I could just say she's my sister again. Boy, that must have been a messed up marriage. I can imagine she had some harsh words for him when she came back from the palace. This was not his last mistake. But with each experience of God's walking with him through his mistakes... With each experience of his forgiveness by God, Abraham learns to trust God more and more. And he is a slow learner, and we are slow learners. But sometimes, in fact, often God uses our sinful choices to force us to realize our need for him. I guess the question for us is, have we been wasting days in Egypt? So sure that God is not going to come through. Are we disillusioned with God? Do we think that being a Christian means that God should be making everything easy for us? That our life should be full of joy and happiness and it should be easy and it should be a good life and you should never struggle with anything and you should never have any wants or needs and and you know what, you should just enjoy life to the max. 
And when life doesn't go our way, we, we set out and we fix it ourselves. Not caring about how it affects anyone else because, you know what, the hero of the story is me. Isn't that what Abraham shows us in the story? In the story, the human tendency to make the hero, the main character of the story, me. I'm preaching, so it's not about you, it's about me. That's what Abraham does. That's what sin does. It says, it's about me. And God keeps coming back and says, yes, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great, but I am going to make your name great, Abraham. It's actually about me. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you have metaphorically been wasting days in Egypt. But I do know that wherever you are and whenever you do find yourself in that place of having abandoned God or, or having not trusting God in a special way or in a certain circumstance, when you find yourself there, The challenge to us is to leave before our choice comes back to bite us. Abraham left in disgrace, having dishonored his name, having dishonored the name of God. Life isn't easy. If you're a Christian, life is not going to be easy. Famines do come. And there do come times when it seems like God doesn't care, when it seems like God is not even there. And ironically, those times often come straight after you have been on the most incredible spiritual high. Now just Is this an experience that anyone here can attest to? Yeah, there's a few nods, a few hands. We have a choice. We can try and fix it ourselves. We can do whatever it takes just so that we survive, just so that we thrive. And to be honest, that's probably our first instinct because we are sinners just like Abraham. Our other choice is to say, God, every time I've tried to fix it myself, I've ended up worse off. Oh, there's there's maybe been a few benefits, but in the end, I'm worse off. This time, even though it's not my natural instinct, because I want to fix it myself, because I'm the hero of the story, this time, God, I want to remember that you are trustworthy. You showed it to Abraham despite his idiocy. You showed it to me then and then and then. You showed it to to Mark in that circumstance. You showed it to Fran in that circumstance. John, he went through that thing and you realized it then. This is why we talk to each other as well, not just about how brilliant and victorious a Christian life we're living, but about how life sucks and how God is with us through it. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you. Do you know what grace is? Grace is Jesus. Grace is that even if we don't cast our burdens onto him, he still cares for us. And he's just standing there going, come on. 
You think you're making it better, but you're ruining it. Get out of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, Abraham is a messed up bloke. He goes from highs to lows. He is just like us. But without jumping ahead too much, over many, many long years, Abraham comes to the point where God says to him, Abraham, I want you to, I want you to kill your son. And Abraham at that point is like, I trust that you can bring him back to life, God. He means the world to me, but I trust that you can bring him back. That doesn't happen immediately. That takes years. Some people have got this amazing faith from God that that might happen immediately. This takes years. This takes learning from the undulation of faith and life. It would have been very interesting, though, to be a fly on the wall as Sarai came back from the palace and met her lovely husband once more. Mark.
Jesus.